Chapter 42 of the Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Thomas Kuz Kuzmarski. The Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume 2, Paris and Prison, by Giacomo Casanova. Translated by Arthur Machen. Episode 10, Chapter 32, Part 2. Three days after Monsieur de Calsabigi called on me, and after receiving him in my best style, I said that if I had not called on him, it was only because I did not wish to be troublesome. He told me that my decisive ways of speaking had made a great impression, and was certain that if I cared to make interest with the comptroller, we would set up the lottery and make a large profit. I think so too, said I, but the financiers will make a much larger profit, and yet they do not seem anxious about it. They have not communicated with me, but it is their look-out, as I shall not make it my chief aim. You will undoubtedly hear something about it today, for I know for a fact that Monsieur de Boulon has spoken of you to Monsieur de Courtel. Very good, but I assure you I did not ask him to do so. After some further conversation, he asked me, in the most friendly manner possible, to come and dine with him, and I accepted his invitation with a great pleasure, and just as we were starting, I received a note from Monsieur de Berny, in which he said that if I could come to Versailles the next day, he would present me to Madame de Pompadour, and that I should have an opportunity of seeing Monsieur de Boulogne. In high glee at this happy chance, less from vanity than policy, I made Monsieur de Calcebigi read the letter, and I was pleased to see him opening his eyes as he read it. You can force Duvernay himself to accept the lottery, he said, and your fortune is made, if you are not too rich already, to care about such matters. Nobody is ever rich enough to despise good fortune especially when it is not due to favor. Very true. We have been doing our utmost for two years to get the plan accepted, and have met with nothing beyond foolish objections, which you have crushed to pieces. Nevertheless, our plans must be very similar. Believe me, it will be best for us to work in concert, for by yourself you would find insuperable difficulties in the working, and you will find no intelligent machines in Paris. My brother will do all the work, and you will be able to reap the advantages at your ease. Are you, then, not the inventor of the scheme which has been shown me? No, it is the work of my brother. Shall I have the pleasure of seeing him? Certainly. His body is feeble, but his mind is in all its vigor. We shall see him directly." The brother was not a man of a very pleasing appearance, as he was covered with a kind of leprosy, but that did not prevent him from having a good appetite, writing, and enjoying all his bodily and intellectual faculties. He talked well and amusingly. He never went into society, as, besides his personal disfigurement, he was tormented with an irresistible and frequent desire of scratching himself, now in one place and now in another and as all scratching is accounted an abominable thing in Paris, he preferred to be able to use his fingernails to the pleasures of society. 
He was pleased to say that, believing in God and his works, he was persuaded his nails had been given him to procure the only solace he was capable of in the kind of fury with which he was tormented. You are a believer, then, in final causes? I think you are right. But still I believe you would have scratched yourself if God had forgotten to give you any nails. My remarks made him laugh, and he then began to speak of our common business, and I soon found him to be a man of intellect. He was the elder of the two brothers, and a bachelor. He was expert in all kinds of calculations, an accomplished financier, with a universal knowledge of commerce, a good historian, a wit, a poet, and a man of gallantry. His birthplace was Leghorn. He had been in a government office at Naples, and had come to Paris with Monsieur de l'Hôpital. His brother was also a man of learning and talent, but in every respect his inferior. He showed me the pile of papers on which he had worked out all the problems referring to the lottery. If you think you can do without me, said he, I must compliment you on your abilities, but I think you will find yourself mistaken, for if you have no practical knowledge of the matter and no businessmen to help you, your theories will not carry you far. What will you do after you have obtained the decree? When you speak before the council, if you take my advice, you will fix a date after which you are not to be held responsible, that is to say, after which you will have nothing more to do with it. Unless you do so, you will be certain to encounter trifling and procrastination, which will defer your plan to the Greek Kalins. On the other hand, I can assure you that Monsieur de Vernay would be very glad to see us join hands. Very much inclined to take these gentlemen into partnership for the good reason that I could not do without them, but taking care that they should suspect nothing, I went down with the younger brother who introduced me to his wife before dinner. I found present an old lady well known at Paris under the name of General La Mothe, famous for her former beauty and her gout, another lady, somewhat advanced in years, who was called Baroness Blanche, and was still the mistress of Monsieur de Vaux, another styled the President's Lady, and a fourth fair as the Don, Madame Rossetti, from Piedmont, the wife of one of the violin players at the opera, and said to be courted by Monsieur de Fondpertuis, the superintendent of the opera. We sat down to dinner, but I was silent and absorbed, all my thoughts being monopolized by the lottery. In the evening, at Sylvia's, I was pronounced absent and pensive, and so I was, in spite of the sentiment with which Mademoiselle Boletti inspired me, a sentiment with which every day grew in strength. I set out for Versailles next morning, two hours before daybreak, and was welcomed by Monsieur de Bernis, who said he would bet that but for him I should never have discovered my talent for finance. Monsieur de Boulogne tells me you astonished Monsieur de Vernay, who is generally esteemed one of the acutest men in France. If you will take my advice, Casanova, you will keep up that acquaintance and pay him assiduous court. I may tell you that the lottery is certain to be established, that it will be your doing, and that you ought to make something considerable out of it, as soon as the king goes out to hunt. 
be at hand in the private apartments, and I will seize a favorable moment for introducing you to the famous Marquise. Afterwards, go to the office for foreign affairs, and introduce yourself in my name to the Abbe de la Ville. He is the chief official there, and will give you a good reception. Monsieur de Boulogne told me that, as soon as the council of the military school had given their consent, he would have the decree for the establishment of the lottery published, and he urged me to communicate to him any ideas which I might have on the subject of finance. At noon, Madame de Pompadour passed through the private apartments with the Prince de Subice, and my patron hastened to point me out to the illustrious lady. She made me a graceful curtsy, and told me that she had been much interested in the subject of my flight. Do you go, said she, to see your ambassador? I show my respect to him, madame, by keeping away. I hope you mean to settle in France. It would be my dearest wish to do so, madame, but I stand in need of patronage, and I know that in France patronage is only given to men of talent, which is for me a discouraging circumstance. On the contrary, I think you have reason to be hopeful, as you have some good friends. I myself shall be delighted if I can be of any assistance to you. As the fair Marquis moved on, I could only stammer forth my gratitude. I next went to the Abbe de la Ville, who received me with the utmost courtesy, and told me that he would remember me at the earliest opportunity. Versailles was a beautiful spot, but I had only compliments and not invitations to expect there. So after leaving Monsieur de la Ville, I went to an inn to get some dinner. As I was sitting down, an Abbe of excellent appearance, just like dozens of other French abbes, accosted me politely, and asked me if I objected to our dining together. I always thought the company of a pleasant man a thing to be desired, so I granted his request, and as soon as he sat down he complimented me on the distinguished manner in which I had been treated by Monsieur de la Ville. I was there writing a letter, said he, and I could hear all the obliging things the abbe said to you. May I ask, sir, how you obtained access to him? If you really wish to know, I may be able to tell you. It is pure curiosity on my part. Well, then, I will say nothing from pure prudence. I beg your pardon? Certainly, with pleasure. Having thus shut the mouth of the curious impertinent, he confined his conversation to ordinary and more agreeable topics. After dinner, having no further business at Versailles, I made preparations for leaving, on which the abbe begged to be of my company. Although a man who frequents the society of abbes is not thought much more of than one who frequents the society of girls, I told him that, as I was going to Paris in a public conveyance, far from its being a question of permission, I should be only too happy to have the pleasure of his company. On reaching Paris, we parted after promising to call on each other, and I went to Sylvia's and took supper there. The agreeable mistress of the house complimented me on my noble acquaintances, and made me promise to cultivate their society. As soon as I got back to my own lodging, I found a note from Monsieur du Vernay, who requested me to come to the military school at eleven o'clock on the next day, and later, in the evening, Calsabigi came to me from his brother, 
with a large sheet of paper containing all the calculations pertaining to the lottery. Fortune seemed to be in my favor, for this tabular statement came to me like a blessing from on high, resolving, therefore, to follow the instructions which I pretended to receive indifferently. I went to the military school, and as soon as I arrived the conference began. Monsieur d'Alembert had been requested to be present as an expert in arithmetical calculations. If Monsieur Duvernay had been the only person to be consulted, this step would not have been necessary, but the council contained some obstinate heads who were unwilling to give in. The conference lasted three hours. After my speech, which only lasted half an hour, Monsieur de Courteuil summed up my arguments, and an hour was passing in stating objections, which I refuted with the greatest of ease. I finally told them that no man of honor and learning would volunteer to conduct the lottery on the understanding that it was to win every time, and that if anyone had the impudence to give such an undertaking, they should turn him out of the room forthwith, for it was impossible that such an argument could be maintained except by some roguery. This had its effect, for nobody replied, and Monsieur du Vernay remarked that if the worst came to the worst, the lottery could be suppressed. At this I knew my business was done, and all present, after signing a document, which Monsieur de Vernay gave them, took their leave, and I myself left directly afterwards with a friendly leave-taking from Monsieur de Vernay. Monsieur Calcebigi came to see me the next day, bringing the agreeable news that the affair was settled, and that all that was wanting was the publication of the decree. I am delighted to hear it, I said, and I will go to Monsieur de Boulogne's every day, and get you appointed chief administrator as soon as I know what I have got for myself. I took care not to leave a stone unturned in this direction, as I knew that, with the great promising and keeping a promise, are two different things. The decree appeared a week later. Calcebigi was made superintendent, with an allowance of three thousand francs for every drawing a yearly pension of four thousand francs for us both, and the chief of the lottery. His share was a much larger one than mine, but I was not jealous, as I knew he had a greater claim than I. I sold five of the six offices that had been allotted to me for two thousand francs each, and opened the sixth with great style in the Rue Saint-Denis, putting my valet there as a clerk. He was a bright young Italian who had been valet to the Prince de la Catolica, the ambassador from Naples. The day for the first drawing was fixed, and notice was given that the winning numbers would be paid in a week from the time of drawing at the chief office. With the idea of drawing custom to my office, I gave notice that all the winning tickets bearing my signature would be paid at my office in twenty-four hours after the drawing. This drew crowds to my office and considerably increased my profits. As I had six per cent on the receipts, a number of the clerks in the other offices were foolish enough to complain to Calcebigi that I had spoilt their gains, but he sent them about their business, telling them that to get the better of me, they had only to do as I did, if they had the money. My first 
taking amounted to forty thousand francs an hour after the drawing my clerk brought me the numbers and showed me that we had from seventeen to eighteen thousand francs to pay for which i gave him the necessary funds without my thinking of it i thus made the fortune of my clerk for every winner gave him something and all this i let him keep for himself the total receipts amounted to two millions and the administration made a profit of six hundred thousand francs of which paris alone had contributed a thousand francs this was well enough for a first attempt on the day after the drawing i dined with Casalbigi at monsieur du vernay's and i had the pleasure of hearing him complain that he had made too much money paris had eighteen or twenty terns and although they were small they increased the reputation of the lottery and it was easy to see that the receipts at the next drawing would be doubled the mock assaults that were made upon me put me in a good humor and Casalbigi said that my idea had insured me an income of one hundred thousand francs a year though it would ruin the other receivers i had played similar strokes myself said monsieur duvernay and have mostly succeeded and as for the other receivers they are at perfect liberty to follow monsieur casanova's example and it all tends to increase the repute of an institution which we owe to him and to you at the second drawing a turn of forty thousand francs obliged me to borrow money my receipts amounted to sixty thousand but being obliged to deliver over my chest on the evening before the drawing i had to pay out of my own funds and was not repaid for a week in all the great houses i went to and at the theatres as soon as i was seen everybody gave me money asking me to lay it out as i liked and to send them the tickets as so far the lottery was strange to most people i thus got into the way of carrying about me tickets of all sorts or rather of all prices which i gave to people to choose from going home in the evening with my pockets full of gold this was an immense advantage to me as kind of privilege which i enjoyed to the exclusion of the other receivers who were not in society and did not drive a carriage like myself no small point in one's favor in a large town where men are judged by the state they keep i found i was thus able to go into any society and to get credit anywhere i had hardly been a month in paris when my brother francis with whom i had parted in seventeen fifty two arrived from dresden with madame sylvestre he had been in dresden for four years taking up with the pursuit of his art having copied all the battle pieces in the elector's galley we were both of us glad to meet once more but on my offering to see what my great friends could do for him with the academicians he replied with all an artist's pride that he was much obliged to me but would rather not have any other patrons than his talents the french said he have rejected me once and i am far from bearing them ill will on that account for i would reject myself now if i were what i was then but with their love of genius i reckon on a better reception this time his confidence pleased me 
and I complimented him upon it, for I have always been of the opinion that true merit begins by doing justice to itself. Francis painted a fine picture, which on being exhibited at the Louvre was received with applause. The Academy bought the picture for 12,000 francs. My brother became famous, and in 26 years he made almost a million of money. But in spite of that, foolish expenditure, his luxurious style of living, and two bad marriages were the ruin of him. End of chapter 32 End of the Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume 2, Paris and Prison, by Giacomo Casanova, translated by Arthur Maschen. Recording by John Thomas Kuz Kuzmarski. John Thomas Kuz. www.validateyourlife.com